Join me for a moment on the banks of the River Seine. We're on a dusty, sun-baked track following the snake-like river as it curves up through northern France. It's a sweltering day in August 1158 and the heat rising off the dirt road is unbearable. Just walking around outside on a day like this, you'll sweat through your clothes in a matter of minutes. On this bit of road, on this particular day, we begin to hear something long before we can see it. It's a rumble that sounds like thunder growing louder and louder. As we round a bend in the track, the source of the cacophony comes into view. Hundreds of cartwheels grinding, thousands of horses' hooves clattering, the clink and clank of knights sweltering in their mail armour. Once the throng gets nearer, we notice stranger sounds in the din. The snarl and bark of huge muscular mastiffs the size of small bears, straining on their leashes. The cry of exotic birds in cages and monkeys jabbering away as they ride on the backs of pack animals. The chatter of clerks and squires, servants and stewards, and the jangling of countless wagons containing kitchen utensils, beer barrels and treasure chests. Even mobile chapels. This is the sound of a Plantagenet ambassador on the move. The party has been sent to the French royal court by our old friend King Henry II, who has now ruled England for nearly four years. Henry and his queen, Eleanor of Aquitaine, also still control about a third of the land in France. The diplomats are heading to Paris to offer an alliance to King Louis VII. The hope is this alliance will bring peace between the two realms and settle a nagging border dispute over a small but strategically vital piece of land known as the Vexin. But this enormous procession is not led by King Henry or by Queen Eleanor. In pride of place rides someone we haven't met yet. Someone who's going to play a pivotal role in the Plantagenet story. Someone who will end up even more famous than Henry and Eleanor. He's a bright, ambitious and vain 39-year-old Londoner who's been plucked by King Henry from an obscure career in the church to become the Chancellor of England, basically the head of the royal bureaucracy. He's tall and athletic, with a heavy brow, an aquiline nose and slender white fingers. He has a brilliant memory. He's a gifted chess player. His name is Thomas Beckett. And Beckett has come to France on the most important and intimate of Plantagenet family business. He's been charged by Henry and Eleanor with offering up a marriage alliance to the French royal family as the price for peace in that troublesome border region. It's a deal that will join a Plantagenet prince with a French princess. And for the Plantagenets, such a deal could eventually unite the royal houses of England and France and bring some welcome stability to their many borders. And for Becket, if it all goes to plan, it'll cement his position as King Henry's most trusted advisor and right-hand man. So there's pressure, but there's also huge opportunity. As Beckett rides along at the centre of the ambassadorial parade, ringmaster of a lavish royal circus, he knows that his association with the Plantagenets is going to make him famous. What he doesn't know is that it will end up being for all the wrong reasons. 
I'm Dan Jones, and from something else in Sony Music Entertainment, this is History, a dynasty to die for. Episode 5, The Ringmaster. When Henry III chose his royal advisers, he ended up with some very untrustworthy power grabbers, which led to poor management decisions, rebellions, and at least one person in prison. Why didn't he use Indeed? Well, Indeed wasn't around back then, but it is today. Indeed is the ultimate hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and matching technology that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. When I was hiring, I didn't use Indeed either, and the process was very slow and stressful, so I wish I had. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a £100 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com dynasty. Indeed.com dynasty. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We'll get back to Thomas Beckett's high-stakes mission, but first, let's catch up on what our favourite medieval power couple have been up to in the four years since our last episode. Last time we heard how, in 1154, Henry II inherited the English crown from his cousin and hastily adopted father, King Stephen. As king and queen, Henry and Eleanor have toured their new kingdom from end to end though they found that in general, the bits they like the best are the rich, fertile, green and temperate bits in the south and west. And it's pleasant for them to realise that although England is a foreign country, anyone with any class at all speaks one of the major dialects of French. Henry has been hard at work mopping up some of the mess left over from the long civil war known as the Anarchy. He's whipped willful barons into shape letting them know that if they defy him, he'll strip them of their lands and castles. He's left them in no doubt that everything they own, they own only because he allows it. He nearly died in northern Wales when he led a massive military expedition to battle a powerful prince there who wouldn't submit. He started to reorganise royal government, basing parts of it permanently in Westminster and trying to make its processes efficient enough for them to work when he's not around, which is pretty often. Eleanor, meanwhile, has been pregnant almost constantly. The couple lost their firstborn son, William, in 1156. He was a sickly child and died before his third birthday. But since then, they've had another son, called Henry, because really they are incapable of thinking outside the box, then a daughter named Matilda, and a boy called Richard. And any day now, Eleanor's due with yet another son, He'll be called Geoffrey after King Henry's father. More children will follow, but don't worry, we'll run into them in due course. Out of Henry and Eleanor, it's hard to say who's been the busier, but one thing we can say is that a constant feature of Plantagenet life is movement. The royal couple are almost always on the road. They have to be. Their lands are vast and need a lot of attention. So sometimes they're in England, sometimes in Normandy, sometimes in Anjou, sometimes in Aquitaine. Sometimes they're together, sometimes they're apart. 
Often, when Henry is in France, Eleanor will act as his regent in England. We can get a flavour of this frantic life from a contemporary writer's description of Henry. He never sits unless riding a horse or eating. In a single day, if necessary, he can run through four or five day marches, and thus foiling the plots of his enemies, frequently mocks their plots with surprise sudden arrivals. So you've got a workaholic king and a queen who's helping to rule while also raising an enormous family. But even their collective energy isn't enough. This crazy collection of territories they're controlling is bigger than any other English monarch has had to deal with before. They need talented people to help them run it. In time, they're hoping all those sons they've been having will join the family business. But in the short term, there's a manpower gap. And that's how Thomas Beckett ends up with his dream job. We'll delve into Beckett's backstory and how exactly he landed this gig in our next episode. Where he came from is very important to understanding where he ends up. But for now, I want to show you the man in action and how he manages to get someone who has plenty of reason to dislike Henry Plantagenet to promise him one of his own daughters. Warmer, sunnier days are finally arriving. As outside is calling, Factor is here to make sure that however busy you get, your meals are taken care of, giving you all the energy and time to enjoy that weather. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So, no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp and, oh yes, blackened salmon. Don't mind if I do. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine and give yourself time to focus on what makes you happy. What are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash danjones50 and use code danjones50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code danjones50 at factormeals.com slash danjones50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. The world's full of people celebrating their successes, but if the Plantagenets have taught us anything, it's that failing is much more interesting. So that's why I'm certain you're going to love the podcast How to Fail. The very brilliant Elizabeth Day invites guests on to talk about three of their biggest failures and what they've taught them about life. It's a great way to hear a new side to people you may think you know. Guests include Bernie Sanders, Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Stanley Tucci. Give it a try. Find How to Fail wherever you get your podcasts. In 1158, Beckett's over-the-top diplomatic mission to Paris is a storming success. If you're imagining a man of the church would be humble and plain, enjoying simple pleasures, think again. Beckett turns up like he's J-Lo at the Super Bowl. He has 24 changes of clothes for his trip, along with tapestries and luxury bedclothes to deck out his room wherever he spends the night. This is partly because Beckett just loved being a fancy lad. But there was also strategy behind it. Beckett makes sure that in every town and village he passes through, his men give out free beer to the ordinary folk, a surefire way for a politician to leave a good impression in any century. In Paris, he stays with the Knights Templar, 
a prestigious new band of warrior monks who've built their headquarters on the edge of the city. It's all a masterstroke of political propaganda. People are so amazed when they see Beckett, they assume this must be the King of England. They're even more astounded when they find out he's only Henry's Chancellor. How much more impressive must the Plantagenet King be, they ask one another. And even King Louis VII of France, Eleanor's ex-husband, is suckered in. When Beckett finally meets him to get down to brass tacks over the Vexin, that sensitive border region, Louis cuts a very good deal. Louis's moved on since his divorce from Eleanor and now has another daughter, Margaret. Beckett gets the king to agree that this girl will marry the eldest surviving Plantagenet prince, young Henry. Yeah, I know, it's weird. But this is the Middle Ages, and there are bigger things at stake than, oh, it's odd, bordering on slightly gross to betroth your infant child to the infant child of your ex. It also helps that when the wedding takes place, King Louis will receive a big cash payment, and the Plantagenets will get the Vexin. Of course, all this won't or shouldn't happen for a while. Margaret's still a tiny baby, and Prince Henry's three and a half. But the deal is what matters. In the autumn, King Henry comes to France to officially confirm what Becket has agreed. Becket's with the two kings when they visit the stunning island abbey of Mont-Saint-Michel in Normandy. By now, Louis, far from playing the part of the jealous ex, is telling people there's no one he admires in the world so much as King Henry of England. Wonders never cease, writes one chronicler. It looks like Becket has done the impossible. And in the years to come, he's rewarded handsomely for his service. He's allowed to build palatial offices and live like he's a baron or even a prince himself. He's almost always with Henry or Eleanor or both. In 1159, he's entrusted with a very unusual job for a churchman. He's put in charge of military planning. A few years later, the young Prince Henry and little Margaret are married as agreed in a not-even-okay-in-the-12th-century underage wedding ceremony. The matchmaker Becket is given the honour of receiving young Henry into his household to be educated and trained. This is one of the highest privileges imaginable, but there's even more to come. Early in 1162, the same year Becket receives the young prince into his household, the Archbishop of Canterbury dies. Then, like now, the Archbishop of Canterbury is the most senior cleric in the English church. In medieval England, becoming Archbishop means you outrank every other churchman except for the Pope. Kings claim the right to appoint Archbishops, and though that's a sticky issue, it usually pans out that way. And naturally, Henry decides there's only one man he wants to become his new Archbishop, his confidant, his go-to guy, Thomas Becket. So, in June 1162, Becket is duly elected and consecrated as Archbishop. At Canterbury Cathedral, he's cheered, blessed and enthroned, given his mitre, ring and staff. His new job will effectively make him the master of church and state whenever Henry and Eleanor are away. This is pretty much as good as it gets. Or it should be. But for Beckett, and for Henry, and for Eleanor too, this is the moment where everything starts to go very, very wrong. But that's next time on This Is History.
As always, if you're craving more Plantagenet drama, I've got you covered. Join me on This Is History Plus, where every Thursday I release an extra episode revealing the weird details, fun facts and fascinating subplots we don't have time for in the main story. And on top of that, as a subscriber, you'll get all our episodes ad-free. Just visit This Is History on Apple Podcasts and click Try Free at the top of the page to start your free trial today. Or visit thisishistorypod.com to get access wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, if you're enjoying the show, please do give us a rating or review. It's a great way to support us and help new people find the podcast.